So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day, nothing compares five stars from Levi McDaniel. This podcast is by far the best out there. I'm currently studying for my real estate license in Washington State. Every chance I get, I listen and take notes. Very motivating to hear the stories, tips, and ideas. Thank you, Pat Hyman, for the great opportunity. Keep it up. You are welcome, my friend Levi. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Wow. We had a great week this week with graduates from Arebus University. All right. Let's see the certified price reduction course. Uh, Graduate, Mr. Paul Mouncey. The certified buyer agent course, Mr. Alan Daniels. The certified inbound lead and the certified outbound lead specialist course. Both graduated by Keith Semerod. Jeremy Briggs graduated the certified listing agent, as did Jonathan Carsoni, certified listing agent. And uh, April Toro graduated the Five Alive. Uh, Way to go, guys. Great work. And thank you for your business at rebusuniversity.com. All the new courses are up, guys. And especially our twoest new course, our investor course, and our retook course, which is going crazy with new students. That's retoot standing for retain and recruit. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I got a great guest coming from New York City today, Mr. Jake Glazer, and he's cranking things out there, and I'm excited to get him on the show. So without further ado, Jake Glazer, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you, Pat. Happy to be here. Hey, buddy, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself so they could get to know you better? Sure. So I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I have been here my entire life, uh, other than when I went to college and grad school. And uh, I've been a real estate professional for about 10 years. Basically, this is the first job and only job I've had out of college. So I've been a professional in the real estate space pretty much from day one. And yeah, I mean, I pretty much eat, breathe, drink, sleep New York City. And obviously, real estate is a great place to be able to do those things. And here I am. That's awesome, dude. Well, let, let's get in some nitty gritty. And then I want to find out how you got into real estate at such a young age and, and that sort of thing. But first of all, so like, give me some ideas of units sold, volume, that sort of thing, last 12 months. 
Yeah, so uh, right now we're at about 26 closed and pending uh, last 12 months. New York City is more of a volume location necessarily than a transactions location. So we've always been uh, volume driven as opposed to transactions, at least on my team. I run a pretty small team. And uh, we've done, as I said, about 26 sales in the last 12 months. We're, that's around 50 million closed and pending and also average deal size roughly around $2.5 million. Wow. And, and that's just how things roll there, right? I mean, like in your market, could you decide to do a much less of a sales price or is that about average? You know, that's, I would say above average, but you know, everybody starts, I would say at a lower sales price, probably ballpark between five and $600,000. So I definitely something that I've made my mission over the years is to increase average sales price because obviously bigger the sales, bigger the commission, bigger volume. All those things are obviously what we're looking for, but it is my average. It's been my average roughly for the last three years, but I would say industry average is a little bit less than that. Okay. So what's the, what would you say your ECI is on that, Jake? Your, your total gross commission? Yeah. My GCI is roughly $2 million on those sales, on those sale volume. Wow. And then and what's your profit margin? So profit would say approximately 1.6 gross. Um, obviously, that's pre, that's pre my split. New York City has a unique split structure with our organizations that we work with. But pre-split, we're looking at about a $1.6 million profit margin. So, so you pay your broker, of course, that's 10, what is that? 10, 20%, right? Actually more. It's, it's, uh, it's 30%. So 30% of 2600000 that's one four. Right. And so then, then we're looking at roughly like one 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 if we're talking net-net. Yeah, net-net. Like is, is, so it's just you, right? It's just me in terms of the, the commission structure is being funneled in through my name, but I do, have, uh, I do have one team member who is also on a commission structure that's trickled down through me, and then one uh, actually paid team member who's my marketing manager. He's, so he's a W-2 employee, so he's part of that, he's part of that the profit margin. Okay, so take me through, like, what, what does the average day look like for Jay Glazer? Like, what, like what's it like working in a high-end market and you have to understand that a lot of listeners of this show you know they're not they haven't even been to new york city right, right. so they don't understand um, the differences and it's a vast difference between new york city real estate and the rest of the world so like what's the average day look like for you you know in selling two and a half million dollar you're basically selling apartments right like um yeah, we're yeah. selling a two and a half million dollar apartment that's a thousand square feet, two thousand square feet versus, you know, a two and a half million dollar home in Atlanta is probably six thousand square feet, if I had to guess. You know, I've never actually been to Atlanta, but you know, just making well, that it up. Could, yeah, it's probably sixteen thousand. It could be sixteen thousand. <laughs> so, yeah. so okay, so tell me about it. What do you do? Like what's your day look like? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I find so interesting about real estate in New York versus real estate everywhere else is how many people think it's necessarily different. I think there are really two uh, major components to, to my day uh, as, as far as distinguishing myself as a New York City agent versus the rest of the country. The first is just understanding where you're operating, right? It's hyper, hyper competitive. There's around 30,000 agents in the five boroughs of New York City. So it's a hyper competitive market. There's always someone else out there. You know, there's an age old saying, I don't know if it's an industry saying or a New York City saying, but you know, someone, someone always has a friend in the business. Someone always knows an agent. So in New York City, everybody knows a ton of agents because there's so many of us. So just having a level of confidence in New York City is key. I mean, everybody always says New York City is the hustle and bustle city. It's the grind, all of the stereotypes, and they're accurate. So first and foremost, you have to wake up in New York City with a level of confidence. I think is fairly unparalleled 
in other marketplaces. So it's a mindset. So that first and foremost, my day consists of believing that I'm, comp that I'm competent in what I'm doing, that I'm the right man for the job. And then the second component, which is kind of the surprise if I had to call it that, is that our day pretty much looks like other people's days, right? We, we have our prospecting, we have our networking, we have our showings, we have our client appointments, we have our negotiating, and, and pretty much, you know, it falls in line with, with what an, an agent in another marketplace is doing with their day. Wow. Okay. So, and, and so when you say, you know, everybody knows somebody, is there, is there a lot of that going on where people, you know, will list their properties with friends, families, just um, that sort of thing versus like, you know, big mega agents that everybody knows and everybody uses in large teams? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's always uh, some combination of the two. There are, you're always going to have someone who has a friend that they want to list with or, you know, the, the wife has uh, a friend from some organization that she feels obligated to or the husband uh, has a coworker whose, whose brother is a broker. So there's always some sort of relationship. It's, you know, it's, I would say at, at worst, you're two degrees removed from a real estate agent in New York City. So you're always competing with those people. Obviously, you have to understand what your objection handlers are in those situations. You know, the, the, the downside of working with a friend or the downside of working with a family member. Um, so we're always going to have that. But at the same time, listen, I mean, track records speak for themselves. So if you have a good track record, you go into that listing appointment, you go into that meeting with a prospective client, and you advocate for your skills and your and your track record versus someone who might be newer in the business or doesn't have the track record, but just might be related to you or might be a friend. So your business, is it, uh, what, what percentage listings, what percent buyers? Uh, so we actually, I was brought into the business in a unique way. Um, the, the person I worked for, I was his assistant in my first year. He was a buyer's broker specialist, which is a very, very atypical course in New York City. And I would say the rest of the country, everybody wants listings, right? It's listings, listings, listings. But, but at the end of the day, buyers are buying those listings. And so he always went after buyers. So for us, we've always been a buy side heavy business. This year, we're about two thirds buyers and one third sellers. So we're buy side uh, pretty much tried and true. The last couple of years, we've been a little bit more balance. I would say 2017 was two-thirds buyers, one-thirds listings, same as 2018, but then 2016 and 2015 were more 50-50. But historically, we've always skewed towards buyers. And so, like, what are the challenges now in New York City market for a buyer's agent? I think, I think it's actually very opportunistic for a buyer's agent in New York City. So, so if you are representing a lot of buyers, I think you're in a good position to succeed in what has become a more difficult market, a sluggish market. That being said, because it is sluggish, as a buyer's agent, the challenge is really getting your clients off the fence and into the playing field. So there are a lot of people in a wait and see type uh, mindset right now, type approach with, with buying, and they're waiting to see if prices are going to come down, if sellers are going are to make price adjustments that are more realistic and in line with their expectation. So the biggest challenge is just basically cultivating the relationships and keeping the relationships warm because it could take 6, 12, 18 months for a buyer to potentially close on a home which is, you know, historically, New York City is a longer timeline to close a transaction than other parts of the world. Which Why? Why? Well, so the timeline in New York City is different because we have approval processes and the lending process is longer. So we have a housing stock in New York City called cooperatives that's very unique that does not exist anywhere else. When you apply to buy an apartment in a cooperative building, they call them co-ops, you're actually applying 
for approval by the building. That process of, of submitting a, a long, deep amount of paperwork into the building can take 30 or 60 days just for the review. So ultimately, you're at the, you're at the, um, the goodwill of the building to review your paperwork, and, and their timeline is indefinite, basically. And, and it's almost like uh, two mortgage approvals. Yeah, you basically have a mortgage with an actual bank, and then you have the approval with the building. Have you ever had somebody turned down by a building? So I actually, I need to knock on wood, we've never had a turn down. One of the things that my team does, because we specialize with buyers, is vet all of our buyers up front. We have a very, very earnest conversation with our customers up front to ensure that we're not directing them in a building we don't think would be a good fit for them. Well, what, what so... Okay, so tell me a story or, or give me an example of like a buyer that right qualifies financially, credit-wise, right. for a loan, but doesn't qualify for a certain building. Yeah, so he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very gray area in New York City. It's something that has been the subject of a lot of discussion. There's actually been lawsuits about being rejected by a co-op board. So for us, we feel fundamentally the qualifications are financial. So if you meet the financial qualifications, just like you would with the bank, although cooperative financial uh, verification and qualification is a lot harder. So things like debt to income with getting a loan is at a certain percentage with the bank, but it's a much tighter percentage with the co-op. So for us, getting that approval uh, is pretty much a financial one. So our, our, we're lucky enough where we've never had anybody who's been rejected based on anything. Well, we've never had anybody who's been rejected, but if they were rejected, it would most likely be on financial grounds. But situations that you might have a turn down is obviously New York City is expensive. So for example, if someone was getting a, a gift from their family, their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their sisters, their brothers, they might be rejected on the grounds that they uh, don't have you know, the right footing to buy the apartment because they don't have the financial independence to purchase the home. And a building could say, oh, you're getting a gift. We don't like that. Therefore, we're not going to approve you. The holiday season is all about giving. This Christmas, I'm giving back to you, Rockstar Nation, with my 12 days of Christmas sale. Until December 24th at midnight, you can get every single Rebus University course at a lifetime discount of 90% off. That's over 10 grand you'll save on the best online training this industry has to offer. Training that's backed by my 30 day money back guarantee. What do you got to lose? Enroll today for 90% off at rebussale.com. So it's rebus, R-E-B-U-S, and then sale, S-A-L-E, two S's. That's Rebus, R-E-B-U-S-S-A-L-E dot com. Or just text SALE to 444-999 before midnight, December 24th, and get all 18 courses at a $10,000 discount. Happy holidays from me and the Rebus University team. Wow, that's fascinating. It's pretty right? wild when you really think about it. Yeah, and I it's, guess they, it's, and I guess they have their own lawyers. They probably got a ton of lawyers each building because yep. you know it's a fine line 
between that and somebody saying, hey, you discriminated me because of a protected class. And, Correct. and, and so I guess they've got that all figured out already. And, and so now they just make sure that it's somehow related financially. Well, it's fascinating, right? And it's fascinating that they created their own rules, right? So that the banks are saying, hey, we'll take a $2 million risk on this guy. And the co-op is saying, nah, we're, you know, he's too risky. We, we might end up with an empty unit because of that. I mean, that's essentially what they're worried about, right? Is that, that they'll have a, a foreclosure or something in there. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's spot on. I will say that the silver lining in that um, is that if you look at, say, the recessionary period of 2009, first and foremost, we had, we had practically no foreclosures in New York City. We had a couple in Queens and some of the outer boroughs where they were probably homes as opposed to apartments. Uh, they were houses. So sure. in Manhattan, we had basically no foreclosures. So they are insulated from bad economic times. And as a result, I believe fundamentally that's one of the reasons New York City rebounded so quickly from the recession is because we were so insulated from these massive foreclosures that took place across the country. Wait a minute. So you're saying you didn't have any, a single, I, I think I find that hard to believe. I mean, I mean, it's gotta be somebody on wall street that just went from a hero to zero that just was like, I can't, you know, they, they definitely exist. I mean, we, what happens in New York city is if, if someone is going belly up, we typically go into an auction that, that someone gets hired by an independent auction practitioner. It's a very, very rare experience. Right now we have, we have a development in, in a Tribeca, which is a downtown neighborhood in New York City. It's a, it's a five or six unit development. They haven't sold any of the homes. That's going into auction. So it's, 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 there's not really a foreclosure proceeding here. But yes, it's kind I of mean, like you sweep in or the co-op sweeps in and be like, okay, right. dude, we, know, we know you're going down. You, exactly. you, haven't left a, you haven't left your place in a month. You know, let, us get, let us sweep in and help you out because we don't want the bank sticking their nose in here. Correct. I mean, they basically clean it up before it becomes a real issue. I mean, I, I genuinely think maybe we had 10 or 11 foreclosures in Manhattan in 2009. It's pretty remarkable if you think yeah. about it. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, okay. So let's talk about your business a little bit. So, you know, where are you getting these buyers? So we have, I would say we have uh, one major pillar uh, first and foremost, and a few other pillars as well. Uh, but our number one source of business is sphere of influence. Um, having been in New York City my whole life, having a network of people in New York City, and then having the trust of our clients past and present, we get a ton of business, both listing side and buy side, from Sphere of Influence. And then secondary, from a listing side perspective, we do a lot of direct mail. Um, we have a presence in Greenwich Village, which is where I was born and raised. So we kind of tell this narrative of a local New Yorker born and raised in Greenwich Village, and I still live in the neighborhood. So we do a lot of direct mail to those downtown addresses where people can then plug and play. Um, there's, there's a lead capture website, or I should say an email capture website that we deploy in that direct mail. So it'll say, click here to have evaluation of your home. We get a lot of, we get a lot of leads that way and then are able to convert. And then on the buy side, um, we're pretty, pretty heavy believers in online leads. So we do a lot of online lead generation. So let's talk about this narrative, right? So do your parents still live in the neighborhood? I, funny enough, my family, my sister, my mother, my father have all moved out of the neighborhood. I am the last holdout in Greenwich Village. So, so okay, but you, but you were born there, right? So I was. So tell me about developing this narrative. So people listening, uh, you know, in other areas say, hey, you know, I, I could do that, right? Like, I mean, you're, here is, you know, it's, it's a very proud narrative. And I think that people can definitely use it in other areas. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, if you have to play to your strengths, as far as I'm concerned, and my strengths are being hyper-local in a city that has a ton and ton of uh, people migrating to it, right? There, there are very few, in my estimation these days, native New Yorkers. Obviously, raising a family in New York is its own story. And so having been in Greenwich Village my whole life, which was also unique because when I grew up, when I was going to high school and middle school, most of the people were growing up in a completely different part of the city than I was. So to be able to sit there and say, listen, I have been here and seen this neighborhood change for the last 30 years, I think compels some people to say, no one's going to be able to identify the right customer for our home, as well as this guy. No one is going to be able to sell the neighborhood and the values of this location as well as this guy. And so they feel compelled and believe that I'm the right guy to sell their home or in the case of buyers, you know, walking down 12th Street, 11th Street, 10th Street, 9th Street, and being able to distinguish the differences, which, which block does the bus go through, which block doesn't the bus go through, which building has a, which, neighbor, which block has, say, like a college on it that might let out a lot of people walking down the street, which one doesn't. So for any broker in, in a marketplace that they've been in their whole life, they can use that to their advantage as well. Yeah, it's what you call hyper-local, right? That's what, I mean, that's what I say. I say I'm the hyper-local expert. No, no, no. There's a lot of appeal to that. So, so you, you went to college, you went to grad school. What'd you get your grad school degree in? Something as far removed from real estate as humanly possible. <laughs> I have a master's degree in Shakespeare studies. Holy dirt. And then, okay, so, and your parents were probably like, what the hell is he going to do with that? Uh, you know, basically be a professor. Yeah, actually, that's what I thought I would, that's, thought I would, that's what I thought I was going to do. To be honest, my parents were all, all aboard. My, I have a creative household, and my father has a background in the arts. My mother's an architect. They were all on board for me to go pursue some sort of Shakespeare passion. But then um, when I finished graduate school, I fell right into real estate. So what happened there? Like, like how'd that happen? <laughs> so I was just, uh, I was finishing my thesis. I moved back to America. I went to school, in, uh, graduate school in England. I moved back home, was kind of figuring out what to do with this. I was working in restaurants, waiting tables. I mean, I was like the classic New York City stereotype. Uh, even though I was from New York, I still did that whole, I need a job, I need to pay my bills. So I got a job as a waiter. And then a few months later, I was approached by a family friend who said, listen, you're smart, you know New York City, you have a good pedigree, a good head on your shoulders. I think you'd be a great agent. I need an assistant. Come work for me. Pretty much, I was like, okay, let me think about this. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to be methodical. I'm going to really think this through. That lasted about 72 hours. And then I said, okay. And I was his, I was his assistant pretty much two weeks later. And, and I'm sure you probably at the time didn't think it would last. And then here you are. You, you worked for him for a year. Then you went out on your own. You're at, you're at the Corcoran Company, correct? Right. I'm in, I'm in the Corcoran Group, which is you know, well-known around the country for people not in New York because of Barbara Corcoran and her presence on Shark Tank. Yes. And then um, do you work uh, out of your house? Do you work in your own little office space or do you work, does Corcoran have a, a large space and the agents just get the desk? How's that look? Yeah. So it, it all depends on uh, who you are. I'm lucky enough where I'm actually in my office behind me right now. So I have a private office within the, the flagship office of Corcoran. So our flagship office is located on 60th Street and Madison Avenue. So if, if you do New York City, that's pretty much like the most expensive area in all of New York. I'm one block from Central Park. I'm one block from the Plaza Hotel. Um, I'm very close to Tiffany's, Bergdorf Goodman, some of the most expensive retail in all of the country. Um, so this is Corcoran's flagship office. And within our office, I have my own confines. Um, but 
uh, for me, I'm an office junkie. I like my team members to be in the office. I like to be in the office. Pretty much, I feel that when I'm in the office, I'm the most productive. So for me, again, personal choice, I really love being here. Uh, for other people, they, they're definitely agents who crank at home and they just get it done. But for me, I'm more of a let's be in the office and let's be productive together. You like the accountability of the, the separation that, that, that it brings. Like you walk through the door and boom, now I'm at work. Right? 100%. 100%. I don't have, I'm not going to turn on the golf channel. I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> do all these different things that I could do at home. So ultimately being here, definitely I'm going to be much more productive. You've been naughty this year. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about neglecting your real estate training. Putting off the one thing you know you need to do to get bigger commissions and more of them. Lucky for you, it's good to be bad. At least in this case. During my 12 days of Christmas sale, you can get Rebus University's entire online course catalog at 90% off. This offer will save you over $10,000 on Rebus University's five-star rated real estate courses. It's backed by my 30-day money-back guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. $10,000 off. You will not see this anytime soon again. Enroll today at rebussale.com. That's R-E-B-U-S-S-A-L-E.com or text SALE to 444-999. That's SALE to 444-999 before midnight December 24. So what lessons have you learned? Like, tell us about a failure you've had that, um, that uh, you've learned from in your quest here. Yeah, it's definitely a quest. It's a journey, to say the least. You know, we'd all be, I think we'd be lying to ourselves if, if we didn't learn a ton from our failures. I mean, I certainly do. I've, I've made quite a few uh, failures, and I'm constantly failing. I don't think you can succeed without failing. I think that's safe to say. So for me, God, there's, you know, some things that come to mind is communication. I feel that I, when I first started in the industry, I was kind of I was scared to communicate, whether that was with my clients, whether that was with the other broker with whom I was transacting. So I remember one situation, it was one of my first times uh, working with a client by myself, no other partner and agent, I wasn't somebody's assistant, and I, we were negotiating a contract in New York City, and all of a sudden I get a call from the other agent saying, you know, we were basically... 45 minutes from signing the contract of sale and the agent calls me and said we've executed a contract with another another buyer and another broker and i was shocked i mean my stomach dropped you know i was completely completely blindsided and i think reflecting on that i could have sat there blaming the other agent for not being ethical which is 100 percent accurate he gave me no indications of that happening but really if the lesson is had i kept my channel of communication open with him and constantly checked in which I didn't, I would have had a better indication that something else was happening and we weren't necessarily going to get the sale. And at the same time, 
moving forward in my career, just constantly being honest and open with my clients. You know, if you need a price amendment on a listing, telling them the facts about why their home isn't selling as opposed to being scared that they're going to be upset with you that, you know, you haven't sold their home as opposed to being the advocate and the advisor saying, listen, here are the facts. Here's what we need to do. Let's be level-headed about this. So just being open in communication, I think, is something that I have failed with in the past and I'm definitely trying to get better at every single day. So um, let's talk about that. So how long in the New York City market or the Greenwich Village market uh, to hyper-localize it, it does a apartment need to be on the market for you to know it's overpriced? You know, it's, it's a, that's a really good question. It, it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's an art, not a science, right? So I think for me, it's about uh, what the flow of is. How are your open houses? What's the traction? How many appointment requests are you getting? You know, there's, there's a friend of mine at another company. I don't even think he knows that I stole this from him. He has this, what he calls the 30-30 rule, which is if you've been on the market 30 days and you've had 30 showings, but no offers, you're overpriced. So for me, it's, it's, is that normal? Does it, do things get 30 showings in 30 days there? It can, it, there was a time in the marketplace where, where you would have 30 showings in 10 days. Hmm. Wow. But now we've slowed down. So for, for me, I think a price amendment, usually the discussion should happen after 30 days on the market. But listen, there are properties where if you have gone on the market and you're two weeks on the market and you've gotten crickets, no calls, no interest whatsoever. Listen, the reality is as long as I can show you that I've done my job, meaning marketing your home, getting the exposure you need, getting the word out that the home is available. If I've done that and you're confident that I've done that and you're not getting interest in your home, then it's overpriced. So it could be as quick as two weeks. On the flip side, I once sold a home. It took me 180 days to sell the home, which in New York City, this was 2015, was very, very slow because homes were selling in less than 30 days on average. And I knew we were well-priced because we had about three showings per week and the feedback was always incredibly positive, but it was a gut feeling. Like I said, it's an art, not a science that we were well-priced. We just didn't find the right consumer. And ultimately we ended up selling it very, very close to ask um, with the after 108 days on the market. So I never dropped the price on that one. Yeah, that's a good story. Cause that's a, that's a tough call. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess it boils down to a gut feeling. It definitely does. I mean, you also have to know your product. I mean, you know, what's, what else is out there? How much inventory there is? What's happening in the, in the, in the neighborhood, the hyper-local neighborhood of Greenwich Village? Is, is Greenwich Village hot? Is Greenwich Village not hot? You know, New York City is so unique because within a five-block radius, you could be having massively different experiences on apartments. So, so here's the thing that's really always confused me, and maybe I'm daft for this, but I, I, it's got to confuse other people too. I, you know, I'm from Maryland. And everywhere I've been, and I've been a lot of places, a condo is a condominium that's bought. An apartment is a rental. It's a multifamily unit that has one owner or one entity that owns it, and then people rent the apartments. But in New York, you guys call apartments condos. Like apartments are what you buy. I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> does anybody ever get, is that, who's wrong in that? So there's, so everybody's right. Let's start with that. There's no, there's no one term. So because we have vertical living here, a multifamily complex here that is not um, a condominium or a cooperative is still called an apartment building. We might say multifamily. I, you know, I live in an apartment building. I rent an apartment right now. I live in an apartment building. A condominium would be typically, by definition, would be one apartment in the building 
but you're right in, in, in noting that basically if you walk down the street and you see a building that, that has condominium apartments in it, you would say that's a condo. So it's a little bit misleading because you have basically the condo building, but then you have the condo apartment within the condo building. Yeah, it's almost like someone made a mistake and called a condo an apartment and then it stuck. And now everybody calls them apartments. It's, <laughs> anyways, it's fascinating. So, okay, let's talk about technology. So what, what, what's new on the technology front that you're excited about that you're using? Yeah, I mean, so, I, you know, one thing that I love about my team and love about, you know, what we're able to accomplish is how simple we keep things. You know, I think, I think people can get so overblown by certain technology. So for us, there's really, really good tech in the simplicity of programs. So our team is heavily, heavily reliant on uh, the Google suite, you know, Google Docs, Google Drive, anything like that. So our entire brains, our entire program, all of our deals, all of the things we're working on, all of our marketing, all of our branding, any videos we've recorded, everything we do lives on Google Drive. So for us, that's our hub. That is like the mecca uh, of information for us. Behind me, there's a TV. When this TV is on, it essentially outlines uh, we have something called we have something called the board, which is what sits here, and that's essentially a Google Sheet spreadsheet that has all of our deal flow on it, all of our transactions, all of our numbers. So it's tech, but it's simple. Yeah, tech but simple. So we're just basically showing. It's kind of like the old-fashioned whiteboard where they put up the sales and there are the people that you're working with and that sort of thing. What about apps? Any any cool apps you're using? I mean, for us, we, for me, I, I, I not to like uh, be so self-serving, but I mean, I, there's the simplicity of the podcast app. I mean, you know, people are always looking for answers out there. Agents are always looking for inspiration, always looking for more education, which I love about agents in general because we're so entrepreneurial by trade. But I discover so much in this industry, whether in New York City or beyond, just, just, just basically trolling through uh, the podcast app. And what do you like listening to besides real estate rock stars? Um, there's definitely some... <laughs> Some combination of, I would say, I hate to use the word motivational speakers because I think that's a very cliche term these days. But, you know, Joe Rogan has an amazing podcast. Tim Ferriss has an amazing podcast. Tony Robbins has a good podcast. Um, so outside of the real estate space, I just look at, I like to look for people who are, you know, pretty jazzed about life. Um, obviously, it's, it's great to get like an energy kick from that. And also just chatting about interesting things that are happening in 2018, right? It's all about, it's all about being plugged into today's world. So for me, um, I just think there's so much information out there on podcasts. I mean, there's relationship podcasts, there's storytelling podcasts, there's so many interesting podcasts out there. And the good thing is, you know, in New York City, we, we travel underground. So you can't listen to like a live radio underground. So you can just download the episodes and just crank them out. While you're, while you're riding the subway. That's awesome. I mean, and, and the cool thing about podcasts, right, is they're free and everybody on there is a real person. So it's all like authentic stories and authentic talk with real people like me and you, uh, just completely free, right? The yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like I have, I have a whole slew of apps, but when I think about like what I really click on with regularity – it's, it's, it's the simple apps. It's podcasts and social media. You know, the, the fact that we have one touch social media now just to see what's happening in our world, to be able to communicate to people in our world. Obviously, if you're not plugged into things like Facebook and Instagram, then you basically don't exist to certain people and you have to be present there. Yeah. Do you have a car? 
I, <laughs> that's a good question. I do have a car, but it's, it's very silly that I have a car. I do not know why I have a car. I pay more for my garage than I do for the lease of my car. Wow. And then, and so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and so do you, like when you meet people to show them places, is it all about, do you just meet them in front or, you know, do you meet them at the office and then take the subway together to go or walk or how's that work? Yeah. So um, it's funny. You should, you should ask that. It's all about who the client is. So for example, you said you're from Maryland. I have a client who's from the Eastern shores of Maryland right now. And he's a super nice guy. Him and his wife, they come up, they're buying what's called a pied-a-terre, a weekend home essentially for themselves. He's a developer on the Eastern shore of Maryland. They could not be nicer people. They're, they're very humble. They're, they are not flashy. They don't need me to roll out the red carpet. But when they come, we go see like 12 or 13 homes in one sitting, which is exhausting for everybody involved so for them i get a car and we have a driver drive us around the city because it just it makes so much more sense and it's so much easier most of the time i'll meet the client in front of the property and again if we're doing something hyper local like a tour of greenwich village we could just walk or we can hop in an uber um occasionally if we're going from one neighborhood to the other and i'm with a client who's you know modest and not again not needing me to, to kind of treat them like royalty, we'll just hop on the subway together. Like you said, the equivalent of everybody just being real people on podcasts, most people we work with, despite having tremendous wealth, are also real people taking the subway just like us. Right. And if they're going to buy in New York City, I mean, that's part of life, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. It's, it's just part of the process. I mean, yeah, people listen. We have, we have a lot of Wall Streeters who take an Uber to work because they leave at 7 a.m. and there's no traffic, but they're all taking the subway home. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, Jay, let's, let's wrap this up with our flagship question. And that's this, let's say I took you and I took, you know, nine other agents and, and I'm going to put you guys in a city. Here's the thing. I want to put you in a really, really busy city. We'll just call it another city like New York city, somewhere else. Uh, you don't know anyone there. They don't know anyone there. And you know, it's a, it's a, I mean, you got an average sale price really high. So let's say I gave you guys each $20,000 and I gave you each, you know, of course, a laptop, computer, and a phone. And I said, okay, well, whoever sells a house in the first six months, uh, whoever sells the most houses in the first six months uh, gets $10 million. How, how is Jay Glazer going to uh, win this contest? I'm going to take that money and I'm going to invest in developing relationships. So I'm going to, first and foremost, I'm going to go to a place I think resonates with me from a from a, from a true perspective, meaning if I am, if I'm moving to a new city and I'm really, I'm really big into golf or I'm really big into uh, dining out, I'm going to go and I'm going to invest in some organization or some activity that allows me to meet people in a space where I am at my highest energy level, right? I don't, I don't like networking dinners and events because I, you know, there's too many people where everybody's kind of angling for the same thing. So for me personally, that is not appealing. And therefore I'm not going to walk into that space and try to light up the room because it's not where my interests lie, but I love golfing. So I'm going to go to that town. I'm going to invest in whatever options there are for that particular area of meeting people. And then I'm going to develop those relationships and then I'm going to expound on those relationships and expand them. And I'm going to take them out to dinner I'm going to take them to breakfast. I'm going to take them to coffee. And I'm just going to use the, the, the computer and the phone you gave me and constantly, constantly uh, develop that web of people. And I'm going to build a sphere of influence. For me, that has been the backbone of my business here. So it doesn't mean it, there's no reason I shouldn't make that the backbone of my business somewhere else. 
On the flip side, I might take a little bit, say 25% of that money and invest in the online leads because the reality is there's so much, there's so much abundance in online leads these days. So I would probably take up 25% of that and invest in online leads to immediately having conversations with people day one. Cause like you said, you only give me six months. So I have to start the dialogues immediately. No, that's great. And I imagine that's what you did, huh? When you came back from England, is that how you pretty much picked up your business was just calling everybody saying, Hey, it's Jay, you know, I'm a grown man now and no longer <laughs> boy. And uh, I'm a real estate agent. How can I help you? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that and, and just the more I always think of one thing I would say if I could give advice to like a, a younger version of myself, which I think I actually took the advice, which is why it, what got me here is always treat every meeting, every encounter, every conversation as an opportunity. You never know who that person is, especially in New York City. And you never know who that person knows. So when I first started in the business, I was just every conversation, even if that person wasn't going to be the principal of the transaction, they might know someone who would be. So treating every, every encounter as an opportunity for more business. And that's, that's what I would do. I would pick up and go to, the, go to the place where you dropped me and then just start those conversations. Even if I meet a hairdresser who makes $10 an hour, she or he might cut the hair of the mayor of the town who knows everybody. So you just never know who's going to connect you to the right person. Wow. That's awesome, dude. I love it. I love it. Good advice. So, okay, Jay. So as, as you know, everybody that comes on the show brings a free gift. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this on hybendigital.com backslash Jay Glazer. It's J-A-Y-G-L-A-Z-E-R. Hybendigital.com backslash Jay Glazer, as well as all of Jay's contact info. Jay, what's your free gift today? So we are offering up the board as we call it, as I said a little earlier. And quite frankly, that's a proprietary um, system that we created. It's, it's essentially allows you to, to put all of your content in one place. There are a lot of most, I would say most people listening to podcasts fall into the artist variety, meaning they're the creative types, they have the ideas, they're the high energy people. So they might kind of be lagging in the organization perspective. So we're basically giving you a gift that allows you to get all of yourself, all of your information, all of your business organized into one spot. Super, super simple and super easy to understand. That's something that we spent a while creating and it was the brainchild of myself and my team. And so we're basically just saying here, have it and use it and hopefully it'll help you basically take all of this chaos and combine it into one spot so you can basically capture more leads and convert those leads because there's always things kind of spraying out of control in this industry. Oh, I love it. Thanks for sharing that. So I'm going to, I'll put that link in the show notes, guys. And uh, you could also get it on uh, the Agent Success Toolbox, which is at hybendigital.com backslash toolbox, or just simply texting the word toolbox to 444-999. Listen, Jay, if I'm ever in a Greenwich Village, I will definitely look you up and uh, we can get together and break some bread. Sounds good. I'd love that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button. Yes, hit subscribe, please. The more subscribers that we get on Real Estate Rockstars, the better guests are attracted to the shows. We'll get more guests from the top companies, from the top teams, and even more celebrity guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. Also, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, 
go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers. And I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.